Hello, my name is Margarita Hobbs. Welcome to Who Are the Creative People in Your Neighborhood, a podcast that highlights creative people who live and or work in Coquitlam, BC, Canada. In this special episode, we speak with musician and teacher Steph Fournier, who also happens to be my life partner. Steph works at Greater Heights Learning Academy, a Coquitlam-based school for special needs kids. In this interview, we'll hear about his journey from long-haired rock musician to how he created and developed the school's music program from zero to the music-making, video-producing, live-broadcast-streaming entity that it is today. Steph, you've had quite the journey. You started out in a rock band, but are now a tie-wearing special ed teacher. Let's start at the very beginning of all this and talk about how you got into music. You began playing in high school because your friends convinced you to join a band. What did they say to get you involved? We need a bass player. So I said, okay, what's a bass? And they told me, you know, it's like a guitar, only with uh, less strings. I said, okay, I could probably manage that. So I took up the bass. And initially playing rock music, I was entirely self-taught. And then I basically taught myself uh, how to play the songs. and. Then when I graduated high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. And and they had recently opened up a small private college for jazz and music. And that seemed like the most pleasant thing to study. And off I went to study jazz. I didn't really know anything about jazz. I didn't know anything about, it just seemed like, oh, good, this way I can be a musician. I didn't really think it through beyond that. You know, it was a small college. There was maybe 20 or 30 students entirely. It was a brand new place. It had only existed for a year before I came along. And um, there was only, I think, one other bass player in my program. Uh, There was mostly guitar players in the building and a fair number of singers, a few drummers, like three piano players and two bass players. So we got an opportunity as bass players then to play with everybody to play in lots of different ensembles. We were playing, you know, rehearsals would happen after school hours. So we were there pretty much from noon till or from morning till night, almost every day. Um, and the other bass player who was studying with me at that time didn't show up a whole lot. He kind of had a lot of other things going on and he was often absent. So in terms of reliability, I was really the only bass player in my group. So I played with pretty well everybody. So that was really a great experience. Probably the most important thing, though, was the amount of time I actually spent playing with other people, responding to the needs of the various types of groups and what they wanted to play, just learning to become really versatile and and, um, play well with others. After college, you joined another band and moved with that band from Winnipeg, where you're originally from, to Vancouver. How did that happen? Yeah, I I joined that group, which included one person that I had been going to college with. So one of the guys at college, he was uh, he had a band. He was looking for a bass player. It was a I want to say heavy metal because it wasn't maybe quite that heavy, but it was certainly a hard rock band. And uh, I joined the band not because honestly at that time I wasn't terribly interested in the music. It was okay. I didn't mind the music. I had grown up listening to music like that, and it was certainly okay. I can't really say I was excited about it. But the guys were my friends, and they were moving out to Vancouver from Winnipeg, and it seemed like a, a 
on the one hand, I guess a ticket out of Winnipeg, which I was looking for. I had planned to move after college. I really wasn't sure where, and this seemed easier to move with friends. And I think always as a musician and just as a person, the people that I'm playing music with are almost more important than the music that I'm playing. I really have always kind of felt for myself that if I like the people I'm I'm working with, I can pretty well get into just about any kind of music um, to some degree. I mean, certainly I have my preferences, but but more importantly is that I like the people I'm working with. You know, in my time playing with so many different groups at school, there are always people that just, we didn't connect super well. You know, it, it maybe was fine and we worked together and we got the job done, but maybe we just, I didn't feel like we were communicating as well or something just, you know, we just didn't just hit it off quite as nicely. And even if I thought the music was very exciting, I found those very difficult environments to work in when I really didn't feel like I connected with the other people. So part of the reason to join that group and move out to Vancouver with them was because we really got along well. And what was the rock musician experience for you when you got here? We came out and we played some hard rock and we played in the clubs around Vancouver. Uh, there were more places to play back then, live music of that sort, than there are today. So we we played at many of the local places. You don't really make any money doing that at that time. You were really just playing. If you sold enough tickets at the door, you would get whatever. But you couldn't live on it, you know. Um, so we all had various odd jobs that we would do, sometimes fairly random, um, to just to be able to pay the bills while we were basically trying to be rock stars. Would you say that what motivated you most about playing music when you were younger was the social aspect of it? Uh, it definitely was then. It was entirely social uh, at that time. I mean, I enjoyed playing music. I got a real, a real buzz off of when the music was going well, when we were playing and things were clicking and we sounded good. I got a real uh, visceral high off of being in that experience. So the music definitely was the vehicle that I wanted to, to be involved in. Um, but the, it was really about making music with other people. And in those days, I almost never practiced by myself. Almost never. Through that period in college, I had played so much with so many people that I had developed a pretty strong technique. And from a technical standpoint, the music I was involved with, with the rock band was, was easy. Technically, it was simple. I didn't need to practice in order to be able to play, you know, the the required parts. And we rehearsed fairly regularly, so there was lots of opportunities to be involved in, in making music. So certainly, I was passionate about music as an art, but but it was always done with other people. Nowadays, I, I enjoy music independently more, and I practice more by myself but but interestingly often that's on a different instrument when i want to play stuff just for myself i'm more apt to pick up the banjo or the guitar um or an, and even these days a little bit of piano playing or because these are instruments that are more conducive to playing music that i like as a solo uh, as a soloist um I enjoy working on some solo-based stuff, but usually that's just, again, more in the way of a study. It's just meant to help improve my bass playing so that I can then apply that to the, to the, group, perform to the group rehearsals, to my practice with my band. 
tell us a little bit about the band or people you currently play with now and what that's like. I've been playing with the same drummer for uh, close to 30 years, the same individual. Uh, and bass and drums, especially in a rock band setting, but I think in pretty much any ensemble, bass and drums are very important. The connection between the bass player and the drummer is very important. And when you find a drummer as a bassist, when you find a drummer you can communicate with and get along with and, and have that artistic relationship with, it's a very precious relationship. And and so much so that I, I even though we have done a few things aside from each other, almost every project we've been in, I would say 70% of the projects we've done over the last 30 years have been with each other. And many of the other people in common as well, um, in my current group, Several of the people I play with, I've been playing with for over a decade. Even if we changed, we played top 40 and then we're playing jazz and sometimes we might play blues or sometimes, you know, even if the music itself changed, there was almost no question about looking for other musicians. We really wanted to, to play with each other. We thought, oh, let's do this for a while. Let's try. Let's all switch instruments and try playing something different and mix it up a little bit if we're getting bored. But never the idea that we needed to change musicians. Now, we play with other people. They come and go. But the core group of people that I play with has remained consistent over a long period of time because those relationships are are the most important. So you did not become a rock star, as initially planned, but you continue to play music and have become even more passionate about it as the years passed. Um, Can you tell us how you kept that passion and habit going for so many years? And I think the people that keep playing and keep loving it, even without the big-time success, are the people who uh, play with their friends, are the people for whom making music with their friends is the joy it's having that strong social connection. I think that, unfortunately, some people aren't as personable, or maybe it's not unfortunate. That's just reality. Some people don't make as strong social connections as others. And I find that those people in, in music, they just don't tend to keep playing. They just tend to leave it behind. Um, if they don't reach that goal of big, big time, then they're done. They didn't get to the goal of big time. That's why they were doing it. So they move on to something else. And maybe for them, that's the right thing to do. But for those of us who are still playing, who still love music, I find it always revolves around this this social connection, right? It's, it's about the jam sessions, it's about the study groups, it's about getting together and playing and doing a show here or there, maybe if it suits, you know, if it's a good show and something worthwhile for a good cause or, you know, you know whatever the, the reason is. So community is the key to longevity. I definitely think having a community of musicians um, that that offer you know support and encouragement and renewed motivation, right? To pursue something in, in music and I'm sure in other arts, motivation is what it's all about. If you've lost interest and you've lost motivation, you're just going to stop doing it, and and maybe that's okay. You move on to something else. But if you maintain motivation, if you're inspired. If uh, if you have encouragement, if you have you see other people that you relate to that you consider your friends who continue to play, there have certainly been times I know amongst my friends where where some of them have gone through periods where they just didn't really feel the drive to to play or practice anymore. But maybe other members in the group are really going creatively and enjoying themselves, and usually we manage to keep 
the people involved who were maybe struggling at that time and, and encourage them to keep showing up and keep playing. And, and then it's reciprocal. And when you go through a dry period and, but you have a responsibility to show up or you feel like, you know, your friends are expecting you to come out and play, you go and you play and you go through the motions and you kind of get through those dry periods. Right. And it helps you maintain it. And music plays such a huge, important place in my life today. And it brings me so much benefit that, that I'm so uh, grateful that I didn't just give up when I didn't become a rock star that I didn't just, you know, that I moved through playing all sorts of different styles with different sorts of people and, and yet have a core group that's been along for the ride with me the whole way so that we can, you know, really understand not just where we are today, but where we've been and the journey that it took to get there and stuff. It's, uh, I think it's very valuable. Let's switch to your teaching career. Many musicians teach as their side hustle, but how did that journey start for you? So teaching, uh, you know, we can look at teaching as being, for me, as being intertwined with music, but also as a separate thing entirely. Some days I don't even know if I'm a musician or a teacher or like, not that you have to separate them, but but they definitely are different hats sometimes that one puts on. And, and it's, you could say that on some levels I've been teaching almost as long as I've been playing because I started off when I was a kid, we were very involved in programming at the YMCA locally when we were young. And so we took leadership groups and we did, you know, we did camp counselor kind of things. And uh, so we were being coached on to how to be teachers. I taught a little gymnastics club when I was about 14 for kids who were six and seven. So it's always been part of my life to, to, nurture or encourage people younger than me or people with less experience. And so that part of being a teacher is, is, is part of, part of who I've always been. As far as music is concerned, because I had some previous musical theory experience from the piano. When I, after a, probably one year of playing bass, I was already, or two, maybe two years of playing bass. I was already teaching private lessons to other budding young bass players um, so these were young kids who wanted to learn the basics of rock bass. And by my first year of college, I was already well beyond that. And this little music store close to where I lived had a hard time hanging on to teachers. So I got the job and, and started teaching officially music, the bass at that time. And then it just never stopped. I think it's fairly common that almost all working musicians go through a period where they give music lessons um, to help pay the bills and many of them continue to do that in a private way through their entire careers even if they're relatively stable as as musicians even if they gig frequently or get do composition they almost always still give lessons some brilliant players here in town who have about as strong a jazz career as you can expect here in vancouver still give music lessons on the side something about the nature of music is that you want to share it and you like encouraging people and 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 you know music lessons are a fairly stable way to to make an income right so obviously some people like doing it and some people do it because they have to do it right um and i just happened to enjoy it right from the beginning i really enjoyed teaching i really enjoyed watching people learn and feeling like i could help them like i really enjoyed that and then teaching became more of a full-time gig for you at some point how did you feel about that? 
when the initial band that I moved out here with disbanded, as I was trying out new bands and playing a few gigs here and there, it just wasn't very consistent in terms of income and teaching was always the best way to make a living. And because I enjoyed it, it didn't seem, I never resented it. I never felt like, oh, well, uh, I can't really do these shows or enough gigs or get enough work. Now I have to teach. No, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the teaching and in many cases preferred it to going out and, and hauling all the equipment and setting up for a show and playing for a couple of hours at a place where maybe they didn't always treat you so nicely. And then hauling it all down and getting home in the middle of the night. And I think constitutionally I'm more suited to being a teacher than, than uh, at least a rock musician, you know, yeah. which is the, the idiom I was playing in mostly at that time. You now teach music to kids at a special needs school called Greater Heights Learning Academy. How did you find yourself at this unique school? Uh, I also happen to be a martial arts instructor, so I teach karate. Again, I've been doing martial arts most of my life, and it's a very typical, it's almost expected as a martial artist that when you see, reach a certain rank, you will become a teacher. One of the the extra jobs I was doing in that period when I was taking some private tutoring and working some odd jobs is that I was also teaching a couple of karate classes a couple times a week. So you began teaching at the school through a lunchtime martial arts program first. How did you leverage that into a full-time music and music technology program? So I started there teaching karate. I did it for a couple of years. And one of the parents who who's kid was enrolled in karate knew me a little bit from outside of school and knew that I was a musician and basically told the school hey this guy is a musician you should get him to do some music um, education for you because this was a very small school at this time there's about 40 kids at the school they didn't really have a lot of elective sort of programming there wasn't a music teacher at the school and so they approached me and said would I be interested in doing like a lunch hour program because at that time I didn't have a teaching certificate for the board of education I didn't have any of the required you know certification so I couldn't just go in during normal school hours I had would have to be again some sort of after school or lunchtime program. So I decided to give it a try. I went in at lunch hour a couple times a week and started teaching choir. Then I think after a year of choir, we added a guitar club. And it occurred to me, like, I I really enjoyed it. So I approached the school and I said, is there anything else I could, that you could hire me for during the day? I mean, outside of my lunch hour and after school programming, is there any other work I could do around here? And so they said, well, I could work as a special ed assistant in the classroom, helping out the teachers. So I did it for two years and I had developed a pretty good relationship with the staff and administration. And I was pretty comfortable. I'd been there now for a while, helping out in many ways. So I would help out a little extra if something needed to be painted or or somebody needed help with the plumbing, just making myself available, doing things, helping out, just being an all around useful guy to have around. Then I was in the office and I said, you know, I really wish it's too bad. I don't think I could ever manage going back to school for four years to do the whole teaching certificate thing. And and it's too bad because it would seems like it would be a really good fit for me to just teach music here as a teacher. And they said, well, you know, you could get a 
subject and uh, subject restricted music certificate without going back to school. And you did that, and the school's current music program began. Can you tell us a bit about the school itself and what makes it such a remarkable place? The school is a the school is a fairly unique place. It's entirely special ed. The vast majority of our students are on a modified curriculum, which means that we have to be creative and have a certain flexibility in how we deliver. It's not going to be exactly the same as you would see in a public school at whatever grade level, right? It can't be. That's This is why the students are coming to us because they need a more personalized instruction. So every kid at our school, every student has a IEP, which is an individualized education program, which is created by the staff as a group. It's perfect for me because it it allows me to be very creative with with how I deliver the content, what exactly I'm teaching, and, and really making it fit the students, teaching them what they want to learn and what they need to learn rather than just sort of teaching them what I'm told I have to teach at a particular level. So what's it like teaching music there? We really have to be very flexible. Some kids really want to learn to play an instrument in a focused way. Other kids really just are interested in in a very sort of general overview of what all the different instruments do. Some of the kids want to learn the computer side, the technology and music production. Some of them are interested in composition. Lots of them, of course, like to sing. Um, and so having a school where the class sizes are so small, so we're looking at an average of 10 kids per class or less, and there's a lot of extra adult support. So many of the students have full-time SEAs or access to part-time SEAs. You teach music to all the students, kindergarten to high school. What's the music program like for the younger kids? And what are your goals for them, especially when it comes to their confidence and social development? It's really just providing them things to, to experiment with and then following them around and making sure that that stays as a safe environment, right? So nothing's getting broken and they're not in danger of, you know, injuring themselves, but they have access to real full-sized, not toys, but real full-sized instruments, real drums, real pianos, real horns, real guitars, as opposed to just the little plastic sort of colored toys. They have lots of those things in their classroom. That's fine. But when they come into the music room, they get to actually put their hands on genuine, you know, professional music equipment and see what it does without any boundaries, except for us making sure nothing gets broken. All of this eventually develops into them being comfortable on a stage when they're doing performances in the gym in front of parents and doing rock band in high school and whatnot. The sooner we get them comfortable and the students feel like being on stage and putting on a show in front of an audience is a safe thing to do, then it just means that throughout their music career, they don't develop the same kind of nervousness or stage fright or, you know, we have lots of students, even when they, if they come to the school a little bit later, we usually get a lot of new students at the school around grade four level. Many of them come in saying, well, I don't, go on stage or I don't perform in front of people or I'm too shy to do this. And and that's fine. I don't push it too hard, but when they see everybody else doing it and having fun and realize that nobody's being judged and nobody's being booed and nobody's being, and in fact, everybody just, this is one of my favorite things about the school is that without fail, no matter what the student does on stage, everybody else cheers and congratulates them. 
them. Like it is the most, they're the most encouraging, positive, enthusiastic bunch. Uh, they just love the show business and they love it when their classmates get up and do anything. So this ultimately serves as a basis for a more involved and in-depth study of music and music production. Can you tell us a bit about the music shows, recording sessions, live events, etc., that you've developed for the students to take part in? As the students get older, when we get into the high school level, we have a, a more of a range of ability levels. We have students who are on regular curriculum, but just need extra learning support. And students are only have milder um special needs and so we're able we could do a lot of different varieties of activities so in the music room that means we have a regular band class we have lots of karaoke we can do dramatic productions plays and this sort of thing and so a couple of times a year we put on a, a large performance um, in the gym and that will involve either a dramatic production together with some choral music or, or small group performances. And then at the end of the year, we often have a talent show where the kids can get up and do anything they want. It's not limited to music, but it is typically largely music since most of it happens. The preparation for it mostly happens either in my room or in the drama room. So we have lots of different band performances. All of the classes do group performances and there are also many individual performances, either instrumental or karaoke or, um, uh, dancing, lots of different types of performances. These productions have grown over the years to become quite large events. Uh, we have a lot of um, great equipment, as I say, that has been built up over the years. And we have always a, a group of students who are really keen on what goes on backstage. And so we have uh, we have students operating soundboard. We have students operating various light show components we have students doing backstage management we have students doing um running and helping with the setup and, and coordination and i mean you may find this at other you know performing arts type of schools and whatnot but it's always important to bear in mind that we're dealing with a population that's entirely special education that that wouldn't perhaps have the opportunity to work again with real world professional equipment um in a in a in a a real event that has real stakes. It's not the parents are there. The you know, there's a big audience. Uh, there's all the pressures that you would expect there to be in a, in a real uh, show. Somebody is sitting at the board and they're in charge of balancing sound and turning mics on and off and using the equalizers and all the other fancy equipment. The light show. We have a spotlight up on the scaffolding. We have the when it's recorded the, the too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people managing video and, and cameras and, um, you know, quite a big, as well as the entire setup, but the students run the cables, the students set up the instruments and do the sound check and, and run the cables and, and then they tear it all down and they check the equipment and help repair equipment when it needs to be repaired and set it all back up in the music room. And, and so they're responsible for the equipment. This is, you know, this is part of what they're learning that in show business, from my experience as a working musician for many years, this is one of the things that I bring to the table that's maybe different from somebody who had a formal music teaching education and then went and became a music teacher straight out of college. Because I have a lot of experience traveling on the road, setting up stages and tearing them down and maintaining equipment and uh, 
you know, um, troubleshooting when things aren't going quite right the way you expect them to in a live setting and the pressures of being in front of an audience. This is the sort of thing that I perhaps am I'm well suited to offer to these students. And, and you can really see, I've had, I've had many students over the years and you can really see that they feel really, um, good about being involved in a, in a real event, you know, that it's not just a school event or, uh, you know, cause many things that we do in school, generally the kids are aware that this is a classroom kind of thing. It's just for practice or it's pretend. But when we do these shows, these are not just pretend. This is the real, the real thing. It's, it's, it's not just a learning experience. It's actually also a real show with a real audience with, with, uh, real world consequences and that adds some pressure but it also adds a sense of reward when it's pulled off you've accomplished a lot with these kids you've even taken a few of them to perform outside the school the high school band depending on how long that particular group's been together and and how much repertoire they have when when the when i have a group that that i we feel that wants to do it and that can do it in a way, again, that's meaningful, that they can feel good about. We we have played at Coquitlam City Hall, um, and we have played um, in a few venues uh, downtown in Vancouver when we've had school events. We brought the, the school band to perform at. We've, we've taken them to the recording studio. Now, the, the music room at, at, at Greater Heights Learning Academy is a recording studio. We are fully equipped um, to record professional quality. But taking the high school students out to to an actual separate professional music studio really gives them another experience of what it's like to work in professional music. And, and, you know, we're lucky we have a relationship with a wonderful music studio out in Maple Ridge called Grassy Knoll Studios. Uh, Dave, the owner and, and operator, the producer there at Grassy Knoll is just a wonderful guy to work with. He's always so uh, accommodating to us and he, and he really treats the kids like they're like they're uh, professional musicians coming in to to do a recording they get the full royal treatment of being in a recording studio and we produce a couple songs we have most years produced a, a cd at the end of the year that we've recorded done the artwork for um cover art and all of the rest of it some of the songs recorded at the school some of them recorded at grassy knoll studios um the cd as a format is kind of now not really being used very much anymore so i'm not sure that we'll continue with with cds but thanks to covid this year this past year we've gotten into making music videos in a big way so i think that moving forward rather than cds we will probably be um using the music video format more often as a way of cataloging our year's work whereas previously it might have been a cd We've had students uh, who have written original material, which we've published and, and is available on iTunes. Um, so everything we can do to, to everything I can do to give those kids a taste of what it's like to be a professional working musician. You've expanded the music program to include a lot of video and imagery. Can you tell us why you felt that was important to do? Over the process of, of years of learning what areas we want to focus on uh, i realized that that there are certain guidelines as to what what a teacher needs 
to teach within a certain subject area. And in order for me to spend more time on the production um, and, and marketing aspects of it, in order for me to spend more time on that in class, I needed to expand my teaching certificate um, outside of just the area of music. So I did a, some online courses and, and did a little bit deeper study in, in filmmaking and photography primarily so that I could have the government then the, the school board add film and photography to my teaching certificate so that I can spend more class time doing those things, making music videos and taking photos and creating posters and teaching Photoshop or iMovie or the software involved in movie making and, and, and have it legitimate in the eyes of the board of education. I could learn to use do those skills without them necessarily without being official about it. I can learn to, to do any number of skills through online courses and by self-teaching. But in this case, working in an institution means that I also have to follow the form and get the certification. So I did that. And that, that allowed us then to spend more of our time creating posters for the students' bands. Um, so having photo shoots, having them make creative decisions for layout and, and how do they want their poster to look? What kind of theme do they want to have on there? And then to the degree that they're capable of, they would help with the production of the poster and I will assist or get help to do them wherever necessary. So that at the end of the day, they end up with a professional level poster that a lot of that goes into the recordings of the music as well. The students do as much as they have the capacity to, then they get to observe the finished process so that they understand what else went into it and, and what types of, what types of uh, computer aided effects are being used in every case so that it's not a, a mystery. It's not a surprise. Nobody's walking away completely unaware of what, what was involved in the process. You're constantly upgrading your skills. And in many cases, this was a learning experience for me. I, I in, in my time with the, with my playing with my band, I personally was never in charge of the marketing or the, the um, you know, the licensing or any of those things. So I really, I said, oh, well, we've got some students this year or, you know, a few years ago, we've got some students who want to write original music and publish it. Well, I guess I better figure out how to, what's involved. So, uh, you know, looking into copyright, looking into um, you know, music rights, so can looking into getting licensing to make music videos on cover tunes, as well as looking into how to sell our own original music on iTunes or through other distributors. Um, so that was a whole other area that I kind of had to investigate. So much of, of what I've done at this school, I've had to learn. But that's good, never boring. Uh, and again, this past year with the making music videos, because we couldn't do a live performance, Again, I I was never a video maker. I mean, I did the courses to learn the theory for getting my film and photography, but then putting it into practice over this past year has been a massive learning curve. Just talking about music videos um, and saying, are we going to make, what's the theme of the video going to be? Is it going to be a performance video or is it going to be a concept video or is it going to be a storytelling video? And then how to map out scenes and how to storyboard things and then where to place cameras and how to do proper lighting green screen technology and you know many 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 layers and i would study and learn to the best i could 
put it into practice. And then we would discover as we were doing it with the kids, what worked, what didn't work, what they wanted to do, what we could do, you know, and, and how to do it on a budget as well. Right. That you can't, we can't just turn around. I mean, we are a charity school. We can't just turn around and, and, uh, buy all the most fancy equipment whenever we want it. So it took some research as to how to stretch a budget. So even the financing aspect of it, how to, how to use a budget efficiently, what is our budget for this project? What can we use that we already have? What do we really need? What's the most place where we can best use our, our resources? Can you tell me how the school and in particular how your music program adapted during the pandemic? Among the other challenges of, of COVID, we wanted to still do some sort of a live performance where some the, the students expressed the desire not to miss out on the opportunity to do a live show. Um, we had made many music videos and we learned a lot through our music video making process, but the high school band expressed the desire to do a live performance as well. So um, I investigated and learned about uh, open source broadcasting software it's just another level of, of what we were already doing in a sense. We, we figured out what we needed in terms of software and hardware in order to do a, a live show. Now, we could have done it at a very basic level. We could easily have just set up one camera in front of the stage and opened a Zoom meeting and had the kids do it. But then we have this whole crew of, of technologically minded students who would have normally been involved in a meaningful way in a live show who wouldn't really get to be part of this. So in order to involve everybody as much as possible, first we figured out which groups were capable of performing live um, and wanted to do it. Um, and then we basically found as many cameras as uh, as we could kind of scrounge up and uh, sort of put together the computer resources we have in such a way that we would be able to manage a fairly complex so we ended up doing a show that had five separate camera angles with students uh, involved in handling the different cameras and another student involved in sitting at the monitor and choosing which particular camera to show on the meeting at any given time through open source. And we also wanted to make sure that we sounded good. So we were running all the instruments through a proper sound mixer and then sending the sound from the mixer out to the meeting so that we weren't just doing what you would might get with a single microphone attached to a camera in front of the stage. So really very much like a professional broadcast. If we were doing a, a professional broadcast, you would expect to have several cameras. You would expect to have professionally mixed sound. You would expect to have a light show involved. So we had our light show there as well. And then, interspersed with the pre-recorded videos that we had been making through the year. So we had a separate meeting host who could bounce back and forth from the live stage to the, to the uh, pre-recorded content. Um, and so we all learned myself and the students learned a little bit more about what it meant to be involved in a live broadcast, which is of course is different from strictly a live concert without the broadcasting aspect. And it was different again from producing a music video you know, this a different level and a different aspect of the performing arts. And of course, many of the kids with today's YouTube streaming and, and things were very interested to learn about streaming software and how that worked, right? So it gave us all an opportunity. And that was a brand new thing for me as well, that I had to sort of learn on as we went. And there was lots of troubleshooting and lots of, uh, lots of learning. But it was a success. Yeah, it was a success. We pulled it off. 
even though right down to the week before we were still checking for why things weren't working the way we thought they would, but we just kept, we just kept going. And, and I get really quite driven when we get onto these projects. I quite enjoy them. They're exhausting, but I really do enjoy them. And, and I love learning about these new things. And, and I enjoy the challenge of troubleshooting and, and making things work and finding ways to involve all the kids in as many jobs as possible. Many, many thanks to Steph for chatting with us today. It was an honor for me to share Steph's journey on who are the creative people in your neighborhood because I truly admire his approach and dedication to music and how he has reinvented himself and crafted a meaningful career in teaching. I personally have learned a lot from him by watching him at work and how he navigates an often difficult job. His creativity and never-give-up attitude has enabled him to establish the exceptional music program at the school that it is today. If you'd like to book music tutoring with Steph or hire him and his band for a gig, visit notablemusic.ca. That's notablemusic.ca. If you'd like to learn more about Greater Heights Learning Academy and the wonderful programs they offer, visit greaterheightslearningacademy.ca. That's greaterheightslearningacademy.ca. Thanks for listening. Looking for more creative stories and inspiration? Visit the Who Are the Creative People in Your Neighborhood website at mtmhobbs.com slash podcast. That's M-T-M-H-O-B-B-E-S dot com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter where you'll be kept up to date on other artists and creative news.